Good evening. First of all, I am asked to repeat the story of the lost baggage in South Africa. And for those of you who do not know this story, there may be something in it that will show you why we often fail. In telling you this story, I'll tell you in advance that <clears throat> there would be no such story if I myself hadn't failed at this particular time. When I was going to South Africa, I stopped off in the Belgian Congo and then went down to the plain at midnight for Johannesburg. And the man in charge of the bookings, the man who took care of the tickets and so forth, and a woman assistant, took care of all of my tickets and examinations and everything that was necessary, and weighed my baggage, and there were three pieces, and then called a little native boy to carry them out to the plane. And I stood there and saw this boy pick up the two large pieces, one in each hand, and put the small piece under his arm. And I watched him as he walked out the gate to the field. Now it's a small air uh, station and a small field, so that I could see him go right out to the field. And then I turned away, and uh, a few minutes later, he came back without any baggage, and uh, I said, okay, and he said, okay. Well, when I got to Johannesburg in the morning, there was only my tiny little piece of baggage <laughs> waiting me, and the other two pieces were not there. Of course, we got everybody at this tremendously big air station in Johannesburg, modern plant, searching. There was no baggage there in the enclosure. And there was no baggage over with the cruise baggage. And so they sent someone on board to search the plane, and there was no baggage on board the plane. <clears throat> and so the uh, person in charge of the airline said they would immediately contact up above in the Belgian Congo and get an answer for me. Well, I went to my hotel and uh, our students there had arranged for me to go up to the uh, National Park, the Wild Animal Park, for three days. And so they took me out and bought me some necessary clothing. And we started out on our three-day journey, expecting my baggage to be back when we got back, but when we came back, it wasn't there. And the answer from the airline was that somebody must have stolen it, and it must have been that boy in a Confederate, because it was true that he picked up the bags and carried them out that door, but they were never seen again. 
the ridiculousness of that is this. A colored native boy couldn't any more get by South African police than uh, a Hebrew could get past Hitler. <laughs> they are really watched out there. And certainly nobody could lift those two heavy pieces of baggage out of the airfield without being noticed. But nevertheless, they had all of the native quarters in this town up in the Belgian Congo searched. And heaven knows what they must have done to that youngster. They turned the place upside down, convinced of a theft, but no baggage showed. Well, I was in South Africa three weeks without baggage and without money, without person, without script. Well, I survived, ate regularly, hotel bills paid, and more clothing bought, but only the absolute necessities because I was convinced that it would show up, which is a very wrong conviction. But two nights before I was to leave for Australia, no, for India, I thought this, this represents a failure on my part. What is that failure? It's an impossibility to be living the life the way we're living it and have experiences of that kind. There's no reason for them. There's no punishment for anything. What is it? What, what has gone wrong here? And I sat in my room thinking, 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 meditating, and finally, this is what came. I'm waiting for baggage. There isn't any baggage. This is a spiritual universe. Why all of that is part of the belief of time and space. Space that occupies baggage, time in which it could be lost, space in which it could be lost, and all we're doing out here is trying to find baggage which, if it was found, would only be improving the dream, would only be manipulating the human scene. It isn't truth. There's no truth to this whole picture because we're living in a spiritual universe where nobody has need of any baggage. Whatever there is of reality is incorporeal and spiritual spiritual and omnipresent. And whatever there is that appears as finite baggage or time and space must be an image and thought and can have no reality to it. And so I have been fooled into waiting for baggage to turn up. With that I retired. This is the way the story goes after that. The assistant manager of the airline at that station was sitting at his desk at eight o'clock the next morning, and out of the clear blue, the thought came to him, now you know baggage can't uh, dissolve into thin air. It just couldn't disappear between there and here. It has to be somewhere. Just where is it? And all of a sudden, another idea struck him, and he went over to the hotel where the crew stops and there were the two pieces of baggage sitting on the floor waiting for three weeks. 
Nobody thought of that. Nobody thought of anything until we stopped thinking of baggage and so forth. And so that night I was lecturing up at the capital of uh, South Africa, of the Union of South Africa, and uh, lo and behold, one of our students came and said they'd just received a telephone message that my baggage was waiting for me in the air station. <laughs> now, the reason for this story you can see. Ordinarily in metaphysics we would think that, oh well, it has to turn up or it can't get lost. In other words, we would be dealing with an it, an it called baggage. Now you see the wrongness of that, because to be consistent, if you were ill, you'd have to have a treatment that dealt with heart, liver, lungs, stomach, digestion, elimination, head, foot. And uh, see how completely we would be outside the realm of spiritual being. Now we do know enough not to treat names of people. We do know enough not to treat hearts and livers and lungs. But just see how we can get fooled into looking for baggage. And so it is that this story has already helped a great deal to serve as a reminder that very often a lack of demonstration is our own fault. We, we get very sure of ourselves and believe that we're going along on the right track and then all of a sudden find that the hypnotism of human sense can make us think about baggage or the lack of baggage. Now, I don't mean that I was concerned. My mistake was that I was sure it would turn up. That would be like being sure that a person's sick heart was going to get well or their sick foot was going to get better. When the actual principle upon which all our work is based is that the real creation is the first chapter of Genesis in which God made all that was made and all that he made is good. Now baggage couldn't come under that heading, could it? And neither could hearts or livers or lungs because not only they're never good, but they're often very bad. The spiritual creation is an incorporeal creation and the proof of that is that crops are in the ground before the seeds are planted. There's light before there's a sun in the sky so forth. You remember our lesson of last week, those who were here in Isaiah 58, where we also discovered that Isaiah knew that secret, that this is an incorporeal universe in which you can have light without having sun. And of course we can have everything we need without having baggage. <laughs> Let us occasionally, as we face problems, for ourselves or others, let us remember that it is not these statements of truth that we know and have in the back of our mind, but that the secret of our work is realization. It's all in one word, realization. But the realization has to be that the first chapter of Genesis is where we live and move 
and have our being, and that the sense world, that which we see here, taste, touch, and smell, is the second chapter of Genesis, or an unreal creation, a mental image in mind. Then, if we quickly remember that, we will not try to manipulate the scene or handle the dream, handle the mental image that exists only as a shadow within our thought. Now, I know this, that when you're traveling baggage seems real, and I also know that most of the time our bodies seem real because one thing or another brings them into our awareness and uh, because of that there is the temptation to think of it as real the body is real just as real as the light in the first chapter of Genesis or the crops that are in the ground before the seed is planted but what we see as body feel, touch, smell. That isn't body, that is a mental concept within our own thought. Actually it's a universal creation, but it's individualized within us. To be able to heal, and really in order to be able to be healed, it should be clear to each one of us that we are never dealing with bodies or persons any more than we're dealing with lost baggage. What we're dealing with is the acceptance of this second chapter universe as if it were real. In other words, we're dealing with mental images and thought which we look upon as real. Spiritual baggage is just as omnipresent as a spiritual body, and you can no more be separated from your body than you can be separated from your integrity. Your integrity is a constituted part of your being, and uh, it would make no difference if you mounted up to heaven, your integrity would be with you. And on the other hand, if uh, you went down to hell, your integrity would be with you. And if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your integrity would be with you, and the body is just as spiritual as your integrity. There are no such things as material bodies. There are material concepts of bodies. There is no such thing as a material universe. There are material concepts of universe. Now, as long as we have that material concept of universe, we are under the laws of matter. As soon as we begin to understand I live and move and have my being in the first chapter of Genesis where man is made in the image and likeness of God, of spirit, and uh, the soul of God is the soul of man, the life of God is the life of man. The mind of God is the mind of man. The body of God is the body of man, because, know ye not, your body is the temple of the living God. Not as you see it in the mirror, but as it actually is. Now to remember that, 
in times of problems is to arrive at something that would bring the solution, just as my realization that we were no longer dealing with material baggage but omnipresence immediately awoke, awakened the one man who was necessary to the demonstration, awoke, awakened him to the idea of omnipresence. And right where he was, that's where he found the baggage. Now, this can take us right into our meditation for healing work. Let's close the eyes a moment. I and my father are one. I live and move and have my being in God. I must be of the nature of God. There cannot be a material creation inside of a spiritual being. And I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. Can I be finite, limited? How can I be finite or limited if an infinite Father is within me? The Father within me, he doeth the works. How can a finite, limited being have an infinite God, infinite Father within himself? Therefore, I must be as spiritual as the Father that created me. All being must be spiritual. All he, she, it, all must be spiritual. The Father and me, I and the Father, you and me, and I and you, and the Father and both of us, a holy, completely spiritual creation. Into this creation, nothing finite can enter that defileth or maketh a lie. The only suffering that can be in this world is due to our looking around for a piece of material baggage, even expecting it to be in its right place. That is an error. There is no place for you or me or for any he, she, or it, except in the only place where it's to be found, and that is omnipresence. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, I am. Where God is, I am. Where I am, God is, for we are one. The Father in me, and I in the Father. Omnipresence. The presence even of that which to human sense seems absent. like seeing the cloudy sky and believing the sun is absent when it's merely hidden but it's there omnipresent so with us 
the clouds of human belief, the density of human thought, can hide from us that which is omnipresent, that which is present where I am. What is it that's present where I am? All that the Father hath is mine right where I am. Integrity, loyalty, fidelity, eternality, immortality, justice, freedom, joy, harmony of any name or nature. All of this comes under the heading of omnipresence unless I finitize it and see it as uh, a piece of baggage, something that occupies time and space. Just think, nothing occupies time and space but our mental images. And the only reason they do is because we accept yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, the minute you rise above the mental realm of life, you will perceive that there is no such thing as time. Anyone who has ever made God contact, while they were in that experience, had no awareness of time. And the very strange thing is this, that sometimes that contact only lasts a half minute. But enough takes place in it so that when you come out and look at your watch, you're convinced that several hours must have gone by. And there are other times when that contact is made, when it would appear that something like a minute must have gone by, and when you look at your watch, find that two or three hours have gone by. In other words, there is no such thing as an awareness of either time or space in that consciousness. Now we are in the mental consciousness when we are thinking, when we are reasoning, when we are beholding anything as being thing or person. We are only in the spiritual realm when we transcend mind. Always People have sought for a way to transcend mind. It's usually called stilling the mind. And they find that it is an utter impossibility. The only ones who have achieved any measure of success in stilling the mind are certain yogi who have uh, accomplished it by exercises, but only the only thing they've discovered is that when they stilled the mind, they were a blank. They had not achieved spiritual consciousness. They had just achieved unconsciousness. Now, <clears throat> there is a way in which you can rise above the mental level of life, and I don't mean remain there permanently, <coughs> because that requires years and years of devotion to this and nothing else. But you can accomplish rising above mind 
to such a degree that at least when you are in the world it will no longer disturb you to any great degree. And the way you can accomplish it is this. First, <coughs> follow me carefully now. Do not attempt to stop your thinking processes. If your mind wants to think, you let it. And if necessary, sit right there and watch it as it works. It makes no difference what thoughts come in, let them. Remember, they can do you no harm, they're only shadows that are flitting across your screen. Those thoughts have no power, do not fear them. If you fear them or hate them, you will try to stop them. If you love them, you'll try to hold on to them. So I ask you, please, do not hate or fear any thought that comes to your mind. And certainly, regardless of how good it may seem, do not love it and do not try to hold on to it. Let these thoughts come, let them go. You just sit there and watch. Be a beholder. Shadows, that's all you're looking at. Shadows that fly, flee across the screen, flit across the screen. No power in them, no substance. There's no law in them, no cause, no power, just shadows. If you like, you can call it the arm of flesh, nothingness. Learn to be willing to face these thoughts. Now, some of them might be mighty sweet and you want to hold on to them. Don't do it. Sit back there and let them come and go. Some may disturb you. Some might be frightening. Let it. Let it. Remember, it's just thoughts. Just thought, nothing else. There isn't a revolver in a carload of them. There isn't an ounce of poison in them. There are no bombs in them. So don't fear them. They may testify to disease. They may testify to sin. They may testify to accident. They can get very frightening. Sit there and watch them come and go. And as you do, now take the next step with me. Realize to yourself, just think, there is neither good nor evil in what I'm beholding. They're just pictures without power. They can't do anything. They can't testify to anything. Neither good nor evil. And even if they seem to be good, they're not good because they're only pictures.
You know, from this little experiment that we are doing here in this meditation, you can see why we have suffered. These pictures or thoughts have flooded into us and we have become frightened of them and began to run away from them or hide our head under the pillow or try to block them out. And here they are, inoffensive nothingness, just shadows. Sometimes they represent theories, man-made theories. Somebody says if you eat meat on Friday, you're going to get awfully sick, going to be punished. And after that, the very taste of meat on Friday is enough to send you into a spasm. Somebody else says this is a holiday, a day of atonement, you can't eat anything. You know how you long for just a little bite. And there's your first guilt complex. And then if you should yield and eat a slice of bread and butter, there comes the conviction that you're under God's punishment and condemnation. And who made up these rules? They're man-made rules. They never had authority. They never had anything to do with man. Almost everything we fear is a man-made rule, man-made theory and a man-made punishment is attached to it. So let's look at them. For this one testifies to infection and contagion. And this one testifies to false appetite. This next one is a prophecy of disaster. <clears throat> this one is a fear of lack. And all they are images and thought. Ah, yes, but here comes one. Somebody says it's cancer. That makes it terrible. Yes, it's a terrible name because it has awful connotations, but it's only a name. It's only a name, a name that Adam gave to something that he didn't understand. It's an image and thought. Let's stop being afraid of these names. Let us stop being afraid of these diagnoses. Even if it's a picture on an x-ray machine, don't be afraid of it. It's still a picture and it's a picture of mind's image. And when you haven't got it in mind anymore, you can't get a picture of it. You only get a picture of what's being held in mind.
let it come, let it go. If you can see it, hear it, taste it, touch it, or smell it, it's an activity of mind, a mental image, the arm of flesh, nothingness. Remember that all the time that we are saying this and thinking this, we're still in the mental realm. We're still in the realm of knowing the truth. But as we continue this, and this is perhaps the same process that you may go through in giving a treatment, as you keep on this way, looking right at the picture, realizing it is a picture, no substance, no cause. If you can see it, hear it, taste it, touch it, or smell it, it's a mental image of mind in nothingness, the second chapter of creation, that which God never made. We are not to fear what we can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. Remember that regardless of how material the condition appears to be, it isn't any more material than my lost baggage. Did you see that it wasn't material, it was a mental image. And the realization of that revealed omnipresence. Sometimes in these experiences, such as we are having now, some people get a very beautiful response in the sense that they're apt to see pictures or visions. And then they make the mistake, first of all, of trying to hold on to them. And then they make a second mistake of wanting to bring them back at some future time. Never do that. Never hold on even to a beautiful image. Let it go, it's only an image. And it's, if it's of God, God can give you as many more as you need. And if it's a bad picture, learn not to be afraid of it. It has no existence as externalized reality. mental image, the arm of flesh, nothingness. And then you come to a place where we are, and it seems like there's nothing more to be said. And so we sit and we give one last word to it. Regardless of what you seem to be, you are neither good nor evil. No matter what you claim to be, you are neither good nor evil. There are no properties in you. 
all properties are in the consciousness that made this universe in its own image and likeness. Neither good nor evil in any form or effect. And then wait. When you achieve complete quietness and peace, mind isn't functioning. And that's when you have gone through the realm of mind and are in the atmosphere of spirit of the soul. And this is where you are receptive and responsive to whatever God imparts. As soon as you are unattached, as soon as you are detached from thought, from the hate, fear, or love of objects, so that they can float in front of your eyes with utmost indifference to you, that is when you are no longer in the realm of mind, you are now reaching, touching, or being touched by your own soul, which is God. God is the very soul of you. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And when he utters his voice, the earth melts, all problems dissolve. And you're now in an atmosphere where when God speaks, you can hear it. Someone has called you and presented a claim to you. They just become ill. And so here you are in meditation and your first thought is whatever its name or its nature if it exists in time or space a mental image, a nothingness. I do not have to fear it or fear for the person who is claiming it. It has no existence in their being, and as a mind existence, 
It is without form and void. I shall not fear what mortal conditions or mortal beliefs can do to me or anyone else. Yes, I'm looking right at you who phoned me. I'm looking right at the condition you mentioned, and I see it as a mental image, a shadow, a nothingness. You have no more good or evil in you than the picture on the moving picture screen. <coughs> Substanceless shadow. Relax, relax. I told some of our classes years ago about the story of a call that I received of a young married woman having her first child and they had taken her to the delivery room at the hospital and they found that it was a breach case, that the child was turned wrong in two. And they tried all they knew to turn that child around and get delivery. And they couldn't. And eventually, the nurse, one of the nurses said that the pulse was dropping rapidly. And at that stage, the doctor <clears throat> asked the, one of the nurses in the room to step out and phone to me for help. And when that call came, very fortunately, I was in a high enough state of consciousness so that I did not deal with a mother or a baby. I was right there where I could realize that God is the only parent and it is not corporeal, physical material, and God's creation can't be or have anything wrong about it, and by the time that nurse got back to the delivery room, the baby had turned itself around without any help from any human hand and delivered itself. The next day, as witness to it, I had calls from the doctor and from the head of the hospital, the head nurse in the hospital and one of the nurses in the delivery room. Now, there is nothing strange about the experience except that it testifies to what we have just been 
having in the way of treatment that if we were dealing as I was dealing in South Africa with baggage that was going to return to me it just wouldn't and so in this case if I had been dealing with a human mother and a human babe and human doctors there would have been trouble but fortunately in that case I was alert enough to the realization that we are not dealing with men or women in this life we are dealing with God revealing itself as individual beings God declaring itself and anything then that we can see here taste touch or smell becomes merely a mental image and thought and with that recognition we can drop it and then behold the reality I've also told these experiences that came in those years when on several different occasions I had women come who had been told that they could not have families there were medical reasons or physical reasons why they couldn't and uh, in just a few years there I had three mothers and uh, one is still one of our students with three children after having definitely been told that there was no possibility of family now all of this is in the same category if we looked on men or women as creators or if we looked on children as human beings occupying time and space such healings such experiences could not come about there's only one way in which these things can come about and that is through the realization of our true identity we live and move and have our being in God now in God there is no such thing as birth or death in God there is infinity eternality immortality and any picture that we see here taste touch or smell is the arm of flesh nothingness a mind creation and so to be handled there are a couple of questions here which I don't think I can answer because they also go back to uh, uh, theological things one is this Luke this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me this cup is the New Testament and my blood which is shed for you I, I don't know the meaning of those things because they have theological meanings of which I know nothing and this wait a minute take heed that ye be not deceived for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ go ye not therefore after him well that seems more simple that the master was merely warning about false teachings well uh, it, it is well to warn about false teachings but it wouldn't be necessary to warn about them if we were just as eager to read other passages of Jesus as we are to read that one he says very definitely by their fruits ye shall know them and uh, so why worry about false teaching 
the very moment a teaching is presented to you, investigate it and see what its fruitage is. Now he also told you what fruitage to look for. The sick are healed, the dead are raised, the eyes have the, the, the blind have their eyes open, the ears have their deaf ones stopped, to the poor the gospel is preached. All right, you've witnessed the whole ministry of Jesus Christ. You know what he did through the Christ. He healed the sick, he gave comfort, he fed the hungry, he preached forgiveness, he preached uh, praying for the enemies. All these things are what we call true teachings because they are Christ teachings. They are revealed to us by the master Christian. So when a teaching is presented to you, you should need no help from anybody to determine whether it's a true teaching or not. Does it heal? Does it reform sinners? Does it improve one's lot in life? Does it bring harmony? Does it bring peace within? Uh, does it change one's whole outlook on life to a more spiritual aspect? Does it turn one more and more away from materiality? That's all. That's all embodied in the Master's teaching. And if it does those things, it comes somewhere in the neighborhood of being a Christly teaching or spiritual teaching or correct teaching. If, however, it increases one's materiality and makes one seek for physical demonstrations, material demonstrations, if uh, it doesn't lead to a higher, more elevated consciousness, if it doesn't lead to a greater inner purity, a greater abstention from the things of the world, then that's the answer. By their fruits ye shall know them. Yes, that uh, leaves us with one note that I made myself. Students believe our work will banish their discords and replace them with physical or material harmony. And that is not the truth. The truth is that this teaching will banish almost as many physical and material harmonies as it will discords. Because the object of this teaching isn't to change evil into human good, but to reveal the true identity or omnipresence or Son of God, Christ. Now, throughout the Master's teaching, you'll find that principle there, that my kingdom is not of this world. Seek ye not what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or wherewithal ye shall be clothed. The Christ message is, seek ye the kingdom of God. Well, it's natural then that if you find the kingdom of God, that it will translate itself on this level as what we call harmonious living conditions. But that will only be incidental. That will be the added thing. What we will have gained is not merely the improved material things, we will have gained the consciousness and out of that will come the added things. I have explained that this way. 
if it were possible for anyone to come into this room and give you instantaneously perfect health tonight, what do you think would happen tomorrow? You'd start right out developing some ill. Because whatever the state of consciousness that originally brought the ill is going to bring it back again. Then isn't that what he said to the woman? I forgive you. There's no condemnation for you. But sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. So it is. If we were freed of all of our physical ailments, and we're left in the same state of consciousness that we are at this moment, either the same ailments or even worse could return to us. But if our state of consciousness were changed, then not only the ills that were now part of us would begin to disappear, but far less would ever return to us. I've explained it also with money. If each one of us at any given moment could receive the sum of money that to him or her would represent abundance, what particular good would it be since almost instantly you would start depreciating it, spending it? Then where do you end up without it? And what are you going to do now? Start all over again making the demonstration brand new. Whereas, Let's forget the object money. If we can attain the realization that our only need is God, the realization of the kingdom of God, by the time we attain it, we will find that the kingdom of God appears tangibly as our daily supply, and then it makes no difference how you spend it, give it away, throw it away each day it will renew itself. Why? Because God is infinite. You'll never come to the end of God. So you'll never come to the end of supply. But when you have money as something separate from God, then you have lost baggage. And you can find it one minute, lose it the next minute. Have a lot of it one minute and none of it the next minute. But when you have it as omnipresence, when you have it as the realization, the only baggage I can ever own is God. And it's the only baggage I ever want. I want to be clothed in God, fed in God, by God, with God. I want to realize that God is bread and wine and water. God is the substance of life, therefore all I need is God. And then when I attain even a measure of that, then you can be assured that God will be appearing day by day in whatever form of human experience is necessary. So it is for this reason that we say, Thy grace is my sufficiency in all things. When we say it, however, we must mean it. We mustn't say, Thy grace is sufficient to give me money. For thy grace is sufficient to give me health. No, no, no. Thy grace itself is the sufficiency. Then you'll find that when you have the grace, you have all things 
that come into our human awareness. Now we will have a nice little rest.